Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your people. And thank you for the sacrifice of your son Jesus and all that it means. And as we open your words, as we open the scriptures, would you open our eyes to really see uh, the beauty of who you are and what you've done for us. And that we would see who we are and how we're to live in light of your great sacrifice. I ask that you would fill me and, and speak through me uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 through 34. If you don't have your Bibles, I'll have the scriptures up on the, the screen. So today we are going to talk about the meaning of the Lord's Supper. Now there may be somebody here who's like, what is the Lord's Supper? When we talk about the Lord's Supper, we're referring to... The, the communion is what we're talking about, the communion elements. It's also known as the Eucharist. So communion, Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. And, and why do we call it the Lord's Supper anyways? Why is it in the Bible referred to the Lord's Supper, First Corinthians uh, referred to as the Lord's Supper? One of the reasons is this, give me just a little bit of backdrop before we jump in, is the early church would, would partake of communion in the context of a meal. So when they would meet, they would gather together and have like this potluck kind of meal. So like when you're taking up the, the, little, the cracker and the little juice and you think, Lord's Supper, this is a shiesty supper. Uh, just so you know, originally it was taken in the context of a meal. And it's turned into, you know, merely partake of just the elements. And sometimes we'll do a fellowship meal afterwards or go out to, out to lunch afterwards. But, but that's partly why we call it the Lord's Supper, right? So it's... it's and, and so the, the early church, they, it says that committed to breaking the breaking of bread. And so they, they shared meals together. But then in the context of that sharing meals together, they, they partook of the Lord's Supper, um, the, the elements, the, the bread and the cup of uh, wine, which represented Jesus's body and blood. So we're going to look at that. This may seem basic for some, but. We all need to go back to the basics and make sure we know why we're doing things that we're doing. Uh, for, for many, with you know, growing up as a, as a Catholic, um, communion was something we did every Sunday, and it became just kind of a ritualistic thing. And I remember as a boy watching my mom go up, and like I so wanted to just, I wanted to have a little snack to hold me off to lunch, <laughs> right? So I wanted to taste the wafer, I wanted to taste the wine, I just. Everybody else is getting to taste it. How about, why can't I, you know? And so I had to go through a communion class, and they explained it, and so on. I, I think it's important for us to really think about, why are we doing this? We do this every Sunday here at City Church. And, and we, we think it's something very valuable and something that is very central to our Christian faith. Okay, this is very central to the Christian faith. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians in the Apostle Paul had to address some abuses, abuses of the, this practice uh, within the, the Corinthian church. And so we'll see that. As we open up the text, we'll see some of the abuses and the, the misunderstandings uh, and the bad practices that were going on in that context. All right? So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for, for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you have come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be 
factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. And when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This is the, the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. If we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry... Let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About other things, I will give you directions when I come. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So here's the big idea. Here's where we're going. Christ has called his followers to remember him and his sacrifice for us, examine our lives in view of that sacrifice, and align our lives with his sacrificial love. So that's where we're going this morning. Okay, we're going to focus in on this. We're, this is a standalone. We're taking a pause out of our Old Testament uh, sermons that we're, 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 we've been doing from the Old Testament going along with our reading. And this is probably something that we should revisit periodically because we do this every week. We need to think about this. We need to know what we're doing. We need to know why. We have uh, you know, some new folks here. And then we have folks who've just been doing this you know, for most of our life, right? We just take these elements and... And there is a tendency for familiarity to set in. And as uh, Eugene Peterson says in, in the, the message paraphrase, it says, uh, do not let familiarity breed contempt, you know, in, in, this, in his paraphrase of this passage. So, so don't, don't become just familiar and, and take this, the, the, the partaking of these elements as a light thing, as just a merely ritualistic thing. But really ponder and reflect on, on what we're doing. So, so I want to answer a few questions about the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist. What, what does it mean? And then what are we doing? When, when we partake of these elements, what are we doing? First and foremost, when we partake of these elements, we are remembering. Okay? We are remembering. We are looking back to the cross. My Bible has this in red. Okay, Paul's quoting this, this little section of Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body, which is for you. So first of all, the, the elements, the bread or the cracker, represents Jesus' body broken for us, right? 
You guys are like, duh, we knew that. But I just got to say the obvious, okay? The, the cracker, the, the, the bread represents his body broken for us. The blood represents, the juice or the, the grape juice represents his, his blood shed for us. We're remembering, we're looking back, and this is important because when this was initially instituted, Jesus was eating a Passover supper. So every year the Jewish people would do this Passover celebration every year, and they would do this in remembrance of the great deliverance that they experienced from Egypt. See, the context of when Jesus started this, this is huge. So Israel had been delivered from Egypt. Okay, they had been delivered from Pharaoh and, and set free and delivered. And, and, and God told them, you know, every year, kill a lamb, eat a lamb. Remember, remember that great deliverance that you experienced from Egypt every year. And so in that context, right before Jesus goes to, to the cross... And, and he becomes the, the lamb, the Passover lamb who was sacrificed for us. So at the same time, while Jewish folks were, were cutting, killing their, their lambs to eat them and barbecue and celebrate the Passover, Jesus was being cut and crucified and wounded and nailed to a cross. He was the Passover lamb. And so in that context, he's eating his very last Passover meal with his disciples and he institutes this practice. He says, this is my body given for you, broken. You know, in John's gospel, in John chapter 6, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. You know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And so Jesus was, was pointing to this, this spiritual reality that we must partake of him, that we must, through faith, come to him. Uh, experience the benefits of him giving his life for us. So what, when we come to communion, we're remembering, we're looking back. We're looking back to the cross. We're doing that in remembrance of Jesus. And we need all the help we can get, right? Men, do we not need help remembering important dates and events? Should I expound on that? Anniversaries, birthdays? All right. Uh, there are there are things that we we need to put that in our calendar. We need some kind of, you know, reminders of I'm, I'm thankful for the Facebook birthday reminders that pop up and they're like so and so's birthday today. Like, oh, I need to tell them happy birthday. Right? We need reminders of special days of special events. And for us Christians, this is a reminder for us. This is a consistent reminder. If you're married, most of you who are married have a wedding band, right? And what does that wedding band represent? It's a reminder of a covenant that you entered in with your husband or wife and you stood before witnesses and you said, I'm committed to you for the rest of my life, right? So we have these reminders that help uh, remind us and, and symbolize the, the covenant that we have with our spouses and communion is much like that. You see, it's a consistent reminder of the covenant that you and I as Christians have entered in and get to experience the benefits of. Christianity, there's two main ordinances that Jesus instituted. One was baptism, okay, and the other was communion. And one, the first one, baptism, is, is kind of our initiation. That's when we first become Christians, and that's one of the first acts and outward symbols that, that, that we act upon and we, we profess Jesus to be our Lord and, and uh, and then we're, we're Christians, but then 
when we, when we partake of these elements in communion and at the Lord's Supper, we are renewing that commitment every week when we're doing that. We're, re, we're being reminded of our commitment to Christ and, and, more importantly, his commitment to us. And so we're looking back. We need to look back. We need to remember. The Bible has plenty to say about remembering. Don't forget. Remember, remember, remember. And so for, for us... For Christians, the cross is central. The, the, the message of Jesus' death for us, his sacrificial love, his life being laid down for us, that is central to Christianity, is it not? We, we practice this every week here at City Church because we believe the gospel is central. We want to be centered on the gospel. And this is a time for us each week when we take communion. This is a time for us to slow down and center our lives on the gospel. We're reminded. We're reminded of who we are and whose we are. We're reminded of the basis of our relationship with God. We're reminded of Jesus' sacrificial love for us that he died for you. He says, this is my body given for you. Sometimes we struggle to believe that. And sometimes we struggle to really receive God's love for us. We struggle with that. So we remember, these are all things that we remember. And most importantly, we're remembering Jesus. We're remembering his sacrifice. We're remembering the covenant. We're remembering what he's done for us and how he's brought us into relationship with him. Okay, so we look back. We remember the other thing is we, we look forward, we're, we're proclaiming. So in this act, every week when we partake of communion, verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we look back at what Jesus did for us, and then we, we look forward. We're, we're partaking, we're remembering what he's done, and, and then we're, we're also looking forward that he, he's coming back. And while he, until he does come back, we're going to proclaim Jesus' death. We're going to proclaim his sacrifice. N.T. Wright, a, a scholar, uh, theologian, says this, that the Eucharist is the moment at which the past event comes forward to live again in the present and the future moment of the Lord's return comes backward in time to challenge us in the present. I know we need to slow down and kind of think about that for a second. The Eucharist, as with much of his writings, by the way, the Eucharist is the moment at which the past event comes forward to live again in the present. And the future moment of the Lord's return comes backward in time to challenge us in the present. And so we're looking back at communion. We're remembering what he's done. But then we're also looking forward and we're proclaiming what Jesus has done. And we're going to proclaim that message until he comes back. We're going to keep proclaiming that message. This is an opportunity as a church for us to proclaim the gospel. And we don't have to say during our communion time, we don't have to say a whole lot of words. Okay. It's important for us to explain what we're doing. So, so new folks can understand. And so we're reminded, but just the elements of themselves speak loudly enough to what we're doing. Jesus death. His, his body broken, his blood shed for us. Our children watch us do this every week. They're reminded, as, as we're reminded, re, remembering our relationship with God and his sacrifice for us, they're reminded of those elements. And, and, and I hope you take the time to explain that to your children. 
explain what is it? What, what, what are these elements pointing to? And there, there is a visual reminder for them. It's not just words that we're, we're spitting out to them, telling them about Jesus. They're, just, they're able to see those elements each week. Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us. Uh, unbelievers who come in here, visitors who come in here every week, they're going to hear about Jesus' death. They're going to hear the gospel message in this service. We are committed to being a gospel-centered church, a gospel-centered people. And the Corinthians had got off of being centered on the gospel. They had become proud, divisive. They had become, uh, they were very, they had spiritual gifts. They, but but they, there, there were divisions among the rich and the poor. Uh, that, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But that was one of the big issues and so what, what we're doing, when we come to communion, we're remembering, we're looking back, and we're proclaiming, we're looking forward. And then we're also, we're examining, we're looking within. This is, this is huge. So verse 27 through 29, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of our Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then and so eat the bread and drink the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so during this time in communion, this is a time for us to align our lives with the cross, with with the love of God. This is a time for us to tune our hearts with God's love and with the gospel. You know, I play the guitar and one of the things I can't stand is a guitar being out of tune. Okay. I, I, now, a guitar in tune is beautiful, but a guitar out of tune is is annoying. Okay, and and so Paul kind of he uses this um, he uses this kind of train of thought in First Corinthians thirteen when he talks about love. He says, if we don't have love, you know what we're like? Clanging cymbal. Okay, we're like an instrument that just making a lot of lot of noise and racket. So in communion time, we tune our hearts with God, we tune our hearts with his love, we're reminded of what he's done for us, and we allow him to tune us where, where maybe we've been, we've been a little harsh towards our spouse or our kids. Maybe, maybe there's, there's, there's a relationship where we need to forgive a coworker who is just, he's been, on, he's been getting on our nerves or she's been getting on our nerves, and we need to release some forgiveness their way, Right? Okay, now, now, I'm start, now I'm starting to get a little more personal. And this is what needs to happen when we partake of communion. It needs to get, it needs to get personal. It, it needs to be something that we, we really stop and reflect on and, and let God tune us where we're out of tune, where our lives are not sounding pretty because we're not walking in love. And so we need God to tune us a little bit. So that when we speak and when we live, there is a beautiful sound that is blessing others and bringing glory and honor to Him. Amen? So we, we, look, we look back, we look forward, we look within. We're examining ourselves. We're, 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 looking, we're looking at our life in light of the cross. We're looking at our life in light of the gospel. And, and we let, first of all, we've got to receive that love. We need it in these times of communion. We've got to receive what Christ has done for us. So we come to the table, when we come to the table with a guilty conscience and sin, we need to present that to God and confess that to God and let him cleanse that, right? When we've come to the table and we, you know, been, been short with our kids and, and, and irritable with our kids or, or whatever our, our issues are, 
if there's something on our conscience, it's, it's in that time for us to acknowledge that before God. Examine. Set up court. It's time, it's time for some court. Okay, we're, we're going to find out what's going on here because something doesn't feel right. I'm about to take these elements. Something doesn't feel right. We want to find out what's going on. Let God search us. Reveal any hurtful way in us and do his deep work within us. Now, this is important that, that there is self-awareness in this examining, but not self-obsession. Okay? We shouldn't get so distracted with ourselves and obsessed with our, with our selfishness and ourselves that, that we're like totally missing what Jesus died for. Like we can, we can become navel gazers looking at our belly button and get so fixed on our belly button that we, for, we forget to look up and see Jesus. Behold him there, the risen lamb. Behold the man upon the cross. And so we don't just look within because we're not going to find hope there. We're not going to find answers there. Kind of the new agey thing, you know, just find happiness within. Look within and make your own happiness. You've got to find it within you. It's not in here that we're going to find the solution, the healing, the deliverance. We have to look up to Jesus, which is my next point. We're to partake in a worthy manner, not in an unworthy manner when we come to the table. Now, this isn't so much about us, and, and this, this is really about the posture of our heart when we come. And, and when we partake of the elements, we're, we're, to, we're to look to Jesus in faith. As Christians, we, we become Christians through faith, right? And then we keep on living by faith. We keep on putting our faith in Jesus. See, it's not like just a one-time deal for us. Well, I believed in Jesus and I got saved. For Christians, we continually trust. The righteous live by faith. And so we're looking up. We're looking to the Lord. We're, we're looking to him to tune our hearts with him and examine us and, and, and show us. Well, we examine ourselves and ask for his help. Because sometimes we can deceive ourselves. Is that not true? Is that not true that we can do some uh, mental gymnastics? We come to church and, and we got this guilty conscience and we can just do these mental gymnastics and kind of put a band-aid on the guilt and on the shame that our sin has caused. But it's still there. And it's still loud and clear in our conscience. And our conscience is like a smoke alarm going, woo, 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 woo. And we're like, we're going to take that thing out, take the battery out. I don't want to hear it, you know. And, and God wants to address the, the, the issue, the smoke that's going on, the fire, you know, the danger, the, the thing that's harmful and destructive in our lives, in our hearts. We do that by, by looking up to Jesus and putting our faith in him and allowing him to forgive us and cleanse us and, and tune our hearts with him. So let me just give a little backdrop of what was happening um, with, with the early church. When they were coming together for the Lord's Supper, these were Christians who had kind of carried some, some pagan practices into the church. The rich were gorging themselves. They were coming to the potluck meal, and the rich were getting down on all their meat and greens and, and potatoes and bread. And the poor brothers over there and sisters over there with some beans and rice, it's a small bowl of beans and rice, and they're just feeling humble, like, man, I wish I could have some of that lamb over there. They're, they're feeling like, you know, like they're, they're, they're not worthy to, to be over there with the rich folks, maybe. There's divisions there, okay? And it just, 
that's just not right. You know, if you're if the church is the body of Christ, if we're a family, it's not right to come together for a meal and have some folks just getting down because they got they got they got the money to get down on some good food. They can eat out. They can go to um, Texas Day Brazil whenever they want, you know, and get down on some meat. Right. And, and then you got other folks who, you know, they they just, you know, they're just struggling to get by. They're happy to have a, you know, a decent meal. And so what, what should have been happening in that time, well, first of all, Paul says, if that's the case, just eat at home. Don't, you know, don't even come for the meal. Just eat at home, okay? Because it's, it's actually more destructive, he says, um, I, I think in 17 or 18, when y'all come together, it's actually doing more damage than good. Can you imagine that? Like, and I'm sure there's plenty of churches like that, that when you go to that church, it's actually more destructive than it is edifying. It's more damaging and hurtful for people to go to the church experience at certain churches than, than it is edifying. And, and when we come together as Christians, there should be love and there should be edification, encouragement, consideration of one another, especially those who are hurting, especially our poor brothers and sisters, especially those who are really struggling and weak and, and, and need our help, need our encouragement. So we're to examine ourselves, we're to, to partake in a worthy manner. There's, there's both a, a moral component and a relational component to this um, examining ourselves and, and partaking in a worthy manner. So the moral component is, is, is there unconfessed sin? So the, the, the open, unconfessed sin. The Corinthians, there was sexual immorality within the Corinthians church. Open sexual immorality. Nobody was doing anything about it. Okay, that's an issue. And so for the brother or sister who's sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend or in, in one of the Corinthians case, their stepmom, which is crazy, gross. Okay. Um, that was happening in this church and nobody was doing anything about it. So coming to the table and living in that open sin, that's, that's an unworthy manner of partaking of the community, right? So there's also a relational component that what these rich, the, the wealthy folks were doing, not considering the poor and considering others feasting and getting drunk eating their, their, to their fill while their other brothers and sisters weren't getting anything or getting very little, that's an unworthy manner, right? So there's a, like the, the moral component, the, you know, there's, there's social sins and there's the sensual sins. And, and God wants to deal with both of them in our lives, amen? We look back, we look forward, we look within, we look up, and then we look out. We look out amongst us, our people around us, discerning the body. Uh, verse 29, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is a sobering verse, and it should be. There should be a sense of holy fear that comes over us uh, as we read that. As, as they, when, when Paul first sent that letter out and they received it, there, there should have been a sense of holy fear that occurred in their hearts. Like, oh, I'm eating and drinking judgment on, on myself. Paul even says, that's why some of you... Corinthians, you're sick, you're weak, and some are even dead because you've been eating of the, you've been coming to the Lord's Supper and you've been, you've been totally devaluing the very reason why, what, what the Lord's Supper is and then the, the, the people who are a part of Jesus' redeemed, the body of Christ. And so theologians take this, this idea of discerning the body in a, in a couple different ways. Some would say that would refer to the body of Jesus Christ, his sacrificial death. And others would say 
that it's, it's discerning the, the body of Christ, the people. Both uh, interpretations are valid and, and make sense. And actually, some might even say, well, they're, they're so closely connected, you can't just separate the two. So you're, if, you're discerning, if you're dishonoring the people of God, you're dishonoring Jesus, right? If you're persecuting the, the people of Christ, the, the followers of Christ, you're persecuting Jesus, right? Isn't that not what Jesus said to Saul? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Okay, he takes, God takes it very personal when we attack and harm his people, his, his own body. His bride. I mean, I got my beautiful wife here, and if, if somebody harmed my wife, I'm going to take that personal because we're 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 one in a sense. We're we're married. We're one family unit. What we're doing when we're partaking of communion, we're also we're also looking out. We're discerning the body of Christ broken for us, and then the the body of Christ that we're a part of. The, the church family that we're a part of. Paul uses that language in, in the previous chapter, chapter 10 and chapter 12, to refer the body referring to the people of God. So I think both, both are valid there. And so we look back, we look forward, we look within, we look up, we look out. The Christian's sin, this is important, the Christian's sin shouldn't keep them away from partaking in communion, but rather push them towards taking in communion. Yet there are times when it may be appropriate to let the cup and the juice pass until we've sought reconciliation. One of the things we often say when we're partaking of the elements, that communion is for Christians, that the elements are for Christians, and then we, we don't want any, anybody who's not a Christian to feel pressure to take it. Like, that's okay, just let the cup pass. And if there's Christians that are here that, that need to be reconciled to their spouse or um, they're, they're not willing to give up, some sin that they're sinning openly, it's okay at times to let the cup pass, but you have an opportunity in that moment to repent. That, that is an opportunity to turn towards God. And so the communion, the, the fact that, that we could eat and drink judgment on ourselves, shouldn't keep us from partaking of communion what we should do is examine ourselves and judge ourselves properly and have a proper self-awareness and then you know acknowledge where there's sin and and partake partake of the benefits of that guilt being removed partake of what jesus died for you and i to experience don't let it keep you back but you may need some more time to reflect and let God to search you and more time to examine, like, what is going on with me? Because something's not right within me. God, show me what is the most pressing issue that you have with me right now. And so there's been times where, where I've had to, like, not just rush through taking communion because I needed to allow God to tune my heart, you know, or I needed to go apologize to my wife. Or my children, or, or whoever else, you know. Uh, Jesus teaches this principle in Matthew chapter five that he well he teaches it in both ways that if you if you have something against your brother or if your brother has something against you, go to him or her, go to them and seek reconciliation. So that that should be done in light of communion. So examining ourselves, we should look at not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with one another. So the cross has two beings, right? And this is one of the things I've emphasized in communion. When we're partaking of communion, we're, we're, we're thinking about our relationship with Christ, with God, our Father. 
And then we're, we're looking also at this relationship here. Are we loving God, receiving his love and giving his love back to him? Are we loving others properly? Uh, because when we fail to do that, when we take for granted God and his sacrifice for us, and we, we take for granted what he's done for us, and we take for granted the body of Christ, the people of God who he's put us in fellowship with, we fail to discern the body. And we partake in an unworthy manner. Just so you know, I'm preaching like this and, and explaining this not because I feel like we got a whole bunch of people who are just messing up. we got a bunch of Corinthians up in here, and we got a clean house. I'm not preaching it for that reason. Uh, one, I just, I, I've been wanting to preach on this for a long time. Uh, for, for over 10 years, this has been a practice that I've participated in every Sunday in a large percentage of that time. I'm leading that time, leading the kind of the thoughts around it. Uh, as a worship leader of a city church, Dallas. And then, and then here, I, w- I just want us to think about why are we doing this? What are we doing? What does this mean? Okay, and it's central to our Christian faith. This is central. And I, my hope and desire after this message that when we partake of these elements on Sundays, that this would be much more rich and meaningful for us. That this would not just be something we zoom through real quick that this would be meaningful for us, that we would commune with God and connect with God, that we, would, that we would let God reconcile relationships that we have as a result of partaking of this time. Because that's what the cross does, is it not? It provides reconciliation with us and God, and it provides reconciliation with others. We get peace with God, and then we get peace with others. We get re- broken relationships healed. Our, dis, our relational dysfunction gets healed. God heals that in us by receiving God's love and what he's done for us, the, the health that comes from receiving the love of the Father, the love of Christ, and we just we give it out. Okay, so what are we doing at communion? We're looking back, we're looking forward, we're looking within, we're looking up, we're looking out. And then what are we not to do in communion? I've talked a little bit about this already. We're not to sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. So one commentator says this, to sin against the body and the blood of the Lord encompasses two ideas, namely sinning against those who constitute of the body and the blood of the Lord by virtue of their participation in the meal and sinning against the new covenant that the supper represents, thereby sinning against Christ who established the new covenant. To worship Christ in a way that shows disrespect towards those who've been united with the Lord and have become one spirit with him and who share and participate in his body and blood is not just a sin against them, but also against the covenant reaffirmed in the meal, against the Lord of the meal and those brothers and sisters in Christ. Why do we partake of the Lord's Supper regularly? Why do we do this often? Uh, There's no prescription in the text here. Jesus didn't give a prescription of how often it should be done, how frequently it should be done. He didn't say, I want you guys to do this every week. Actually, so the early church, they did it They did it every day at first, okay, Acts 2. They were just, man, they were so on fire, man. They were so impacted by Jesus, and they're, just, they're taking communion every day. They're going to worship the Lord and remember what he's done. I mean, it was fresh on their minds and their hearts what Jesus had done. It wasn't long before that that many of them saw and heard about Jesus on the cross. And, and even saw him risen from the dead. So they're, man, every day we're taking communion. They're worshiping. They're praying. They're, 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 they're giving generously, lovingly. I mean, that's, that's 
early church. And then it became a, like a weekly deal. For many churches, it's a monthly deal. And for some churches, you know, it's once or twice a year, you know. So why do we do it? So we, we do it because Jesus instructed and commanded his followers to do so. It was a command. It was an instruction. He says, when, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Do this. Break the bread. Eat it. Cup. The blood. The body. Remember. And then number two is we have a tendency to forget. I've already talked about this. In remembrance of me. We tend to forget even important things that are important to us, guys. And then also the early church practiced it. They, that was a common thing, as I mentioned. And then because we want, so this is, this is awesome, because we want to transfer the gospel message to the next generation. So Paul says, for I receive, verse 23, for I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. This was a tradition that was received and then passed on down, delivered. Tradition, there are, there are some very good things about tradition because it, it can help transfer to a whole nother generation. Good traditions can transfer to a whole nother generation truths. It's a basic way of teaching. How many of you guys have some positive traditions from your family that you were brought up in that, that, help, that, are, that are good and healthy and you still have them today and you're going to transfer them down to your kids? Anybody? All right. So traditions have a powerful way of, of helping train and teaching. So, again, the, the, the Israelites, the Jews, they had the, all the feasts. They had the Passover. They had, they had these traditions that were good that helped them remember who they are and what God had done in their lives and their history that they had with God. This is a good practice for us to, to practice regularly, frequently, so that we can pass that down to our children. We want them to know the gospel message. We want them to know Sammy, we want you to know why Jesus died on the cross. He died for you and your sins and my sins, right? And we want that message transferred to the next generation. So that's the why. That's a part of the why. And then who? Who is to partake of the Lord's Supper? Notice we, we have an open communion table here. We pass it. Um, we don't. I've, I've never had to forbid somebody to say, no, you don't. Don't eat that. You're going to bring judgment on yourself. Don't eat it. Now, when we do do that, what that looks like is, is church discipline. So when there is a brother or sister who's living in habitual sin, and it's known and it's clear, there's steps of reconciliation that it, within 1 Corinthians, Paul gives to the, the church. And it's, it's church discipline. It's helping that person realize they're, they're living in sin by, by being a drunkard or a thief or an adulterer or a murderer or whatever. You know, if we, if we had a murderer at City Church Garland and they're openly a murderer, gangster, and, yet, and they just, they're a hit person and they just took some food, we're not going to let them keep taking communion. All right? We're going to help them come to a place of repentance. That, you know, we're going to have some conversations. But, but we want them to experience what Jesus died for. We want them to experience the benefits of what Jesus, God can forgive a hitman and change the heart of a hitman of, of a murderer and make him a loving person. Okay, so who? Who should partake of, of the elements? The Heidelberg Catechism answers that question well. For, the, for those who are truly sorrowful for their sins and yet trust that these are forgiven them for the sake of Christ and that the remaining infirmities are covered by his passion and death, 
who also desire to have their faith more and more strengthened and their lives more holy? I think this is a great answer to the question of who. Now, this doesn't answer for us the question of like how old and who, because we, we got a lot of young families here and we have children. And so as parents, we got to wrestle through like at what point are we going to let our kids start eating the crackers and drinking the juice? Are they truly sorrowful for their sins? Do they trust that their sins are forgiven for, sight, for Christ's sake? Are they consciously putting their faith in Jesus? The Lord's Supper communion is for Christians who've actually entered into that covenant consciously with Christ. So with our kids, our kids, my wife and I, often the kids have asked us, can I have some? Can I have some juice? Can I have some crackers? And it's not a legalistic thing for us. Like, you know, sometimes we'll let them drink the residue left in the cups. But but we don't openly, like, give it to our kids yet. And so we've decided... And this isn't a rule, and this is just what we're doing as, with, as parents. We've decided we're going to wait until they get baptized. So when they get baptized, after our kids get baptized, they're old enough to get baptized, and we're, we're leaning towards a later date for their baptism so that they consciously know what they're doing. I've, I've met too many people who have said they were baptized at a, as a, at a very young age, and they just haven't been living for God and show no evidence that they have a genuine relationship with God and so I don't want to do that for my kids. I want my kids, to, it, it would be better for us to wait and let them get baptized at an older, older age. And I know there's, there's, respect, there's debate and there's, there's different views on this. And I'm, not, and I'm not saying that a five or six-year-old cannot become a genuine Christian because I think they can. And I think I would be, I would be okay with baptizing a five or six-year-old who shows evidence that they really believe the gospel but I'm, what I'm going to do, with, just so you guys, the parents know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to defer to you. I'm going to have some conversations with you as parents. If you're, if you're saying, hey, little so-and-so is ready to get baptized, I'm going to have some conversations with, with parents and trust that since you've known them since they were babies and you know their spiritual condition better than I do, I'm going to trust that you really know if they're ready. So I'm going to just make sure that you're, you're aware of kind of what we're looking for when it comes to baptism or communion these are things we need to think about as parents young parents because you know we have some of our kids who are saying i want to get baptized and we might be you know wrestling through when's the best time to do that for for the sake of our our kiddos and you know some kids develop faster than others and 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 some they're just every kid is different and so I, i i don't think we can put a like a specific date it has to be seven years old or you know some some specific year it's different for each kid, right? So who, those who are truly, who should partake of the elements? Those who are truly sorrowful for their sins, yet trust that these are forgiven for the sake of Christ. Now, who should not partake of communion? J.C. Ryle, this is a great quote. Sinners living in open sin and determined to not give it up. They shouldn't take of communion because they will eat and drink judgment on themselves. Those sinners who live, who are living in open sin and determined not to give it up. Now, I'm not going to stop doing that. Ought on no account to come to the Lord's table. To do so is, is a positive insult to Christ and to pour content on his gospel. It is nonsense to profess we desire to remember Christ's death while we cling to a curse, the accursed thing which made it needful for him to die. How about the how? Okay, so we looked at the, the, the what the, the why, 
the who, now the how. So we're to come to the table with reverence. We're to come to the table with reverence for God, gratitude towards God. We're to come to the table with thoughtful reflection. We're to slow down and just think about our relationship with God, relationship with others, think about what he's done. We're to come with respect and consideration for others. Unlike the Corinthians who were dishonoring and humiliating the poor by feasting, uh, the rich feasting and, and, and the poor being humiliated because they didn't have much. We're to, we're to come with the respect for others. How's our relationship with, with the body of Christ? How's our relationship with God? Is there sin that needs to be confessed? And so that's, that's the manner in which we should come. And so here are some questions, just in, in closing, here are some questions to consider when, when we're partaking of communion. When we're receiving communion, here's some things to think about. And actually, let me, let me just say this. This idea of drinking judgment on yourself and, and some becoming sick and ill and even death happening. Um, I know this can sound harsh. And, and one of the things that I think happens is with, with many folks and many Christians in our day is we compartmentalize our, we, our lives in different ways. And so our, our physical lives are, are much more entwined and connected to our spiritual lives and relational, li- relational lives than, we, than maybe we give credit for. And so when somebody's sick, okay, when a Christian's sick, and, and there's, there's sickness, there's illness. It's a legitimate question. In examining yourself, if you're struggling with continual sickness, ongoing sickness, it's a legitimate question to ask, is there any sin connected with this? Is there any sin connected with this? Now, I would say this. It's not right to always assume that that's the case. We don't want to assume that that's the case for everybody and be like the, the harsh, proud, presumptuous religious person who a brother has a cold and you're and you're like you're in sin brother you need to repent you don't need tylenol you don't need dayquil you need to repent of your sin right so we don't want to be like that okay but it's it's always a fair question when when we are sick and we're struggling with sickness a part of our examining ourselves before god is, is Did I open a door to the enemy? Did I, is there sin in my life that is bringing on this illness, this sickness, this weakness? And it says even some have died. I mean, I think when I hear that, I think about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. You know, they're, they're coming to church and they're like, hey, you know, we just gave up this big offering for the church. And, you know, we gave this much. And they lied to the Holy Spirit and they died right there. Like that, that sounds very harsh, but God is very serious about the authenticity, truthfulness, and genuineness of his people. And so we, we need to examine ourselves. And, and also um, James 5, you know, when it, when it talks about our sin and it says that if anyone is sick, let them call upon the elders of the church and, and have them pray over them, anoint them with oil. And if he has committed sins, the Lord will forgive him. And so, and then it says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Okay, so there's, there's a solution. There's the out, the confession. So just wanted to, to, to say that. That's never fun to talk about or even a question to, to present or ask. But as we examine ourselves before God, it's a legitimate question to ask. Is there any sin connected with the sickness that's been coming on my life? So here's, here's some questions to consider as we approach the table. And, and is your conscience clean? Is your conscience clean? 
If your conscience isn't clean, that shouldn't keep you from coming. Because you can get your conscience clean like that. By acknowledging your sin before God. Now, you may have to go talk with somebody. It may be an issue with a relationship. And you may need to go reconcile them, you know, before you partake. What is God's most pressing issue with you? Asking God that question. Like, maybe if you, you come to the table and you're like, you're struggling. You know there's something, but you don't know what it is. And you can't put your finger on it. And so... Ask God, God, what's your most pressing issue with me? What, what is the thing you're wanting to cleanse, forgive, change, and tune in my life? And then are you walking in the light? Are you walking in the light before God and before others? Are you loving others like God loves you? Do you need to forgive someone? Is there somebody that you just need to release and forgive in the same way that Christ has forgiven you? Do you need to apologize or ask for someone else's forgiveness? And then, does your conduct reflect the beauty of the cross? And so, as we come to the table and we ponder the cross, we remember the cross, we remember Christ and what He's done for us, let's let that truth and that beauty change us to where we reflect it, where we show it, the same love we receive, the same forgiveness that we've seen. We're going to partake of the elements here. Um, if I can get the ushers to pass those out. And what I'd like for us to do today um, as we partake is I'd like for everybody to just take the elements in your hand and just hold just hold on to them. Worship team is going to lead us in a song. Um, but we're going we're gonna to partake of these together. So just take the elements. And as, as the team leads us in this song, just hold on. Let's examine ourselves before God. Let's remember what Christ has done. Let's proclaim. We're proclaiming Jesus' death with these elements. Let's reflect. Let's slow down. Let's come to God with reverence. If your heart is not in a place to where you're believing God and you're, you're sorrowful for your sins, it's okay to let the cup pass. Okay? We're not going to judge you. But the scripture says for you to judge yourselves. Examine yourselves and judge yourselves. Just hold on to the elements. We're gonna we're gonna partake of them together at the very end.